Father, we pray this morning, before this time is over, that we can know the secrets of the Prince of Peace and how to have this peace that others have written about and sung about that is offered to us. Show us the way this morning, right here this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a seat. Good morning once again. This first Christmas that we celebrate, the coming of Jesus, it was the beginning of something big. The calendar used by all but a dozen nations on earth is based on the date of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Out of 195 countries in the world, in 158 of them, the majority of the citizens believe Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. Right now, there are 2.4 billion Christians in the world, making it the largest world religion. Whether they actually believe it or not, every leader on the world must finally state what they think about this first century Jew born in a manger in Bethlehem. In the Middle East, it's helpful if you say you oppose him and his followers. In the United States, it can cost you the election if you say that. And as a world leader, if the Pope the single most popular Christian leader in the world, says anything about anything. It will be published in every newspaper on earth the very next day. Christianity and Christmas was the beginning of something big. It was also the beginning of the end of things. Jesus come to earth on Christmas night was the beginning of the end for slavery. Where it has been stamped out in the world, it has been stamped out by the protests and efforts of church-going Christians. Countries who have never had Christian majorities often still have some form of slavery. The sexual abuse of children, again, fought around the world by all sorts of religious groups, but frighteningly common in countries without a Christian majority. If you can stand the subject matter, uh, the documentary Pakistan's Hidden Shame pulls back the curtain on what happens to children in many parts of the world. Women's rights, the suffragettes of America who fought for the right to vote for women were Christian women. Child labor laws, almost strictly a Christian cause. Often in nations without Christian influence, no child labor laws exist. Most hospitals are named after biblical saints. The most active charities in the world fighting hunger are Christian charities, and most of the money they raise comes from churches and Christian music concerts. And I suspect that if I asked you to pick any nation on earth to live in besides the United States, and that your choice could not be based on the opportunity to do humanitarian work, but you could only go there to enjoy comfort, freedom, and safety, I would bet that your second through tenth choices would be majority Christian nations. Christmas is also one of the most celebrated holidays. In fact, Christmas is the second most celebrated holiday in the world. You just can't beat New Year's. It happens to everyone with regularity. But uh, in terms of holidays that truly represent something that changed the world, you just can't beat Christmas. And when it comes to people who have affected every culture, every language, everywhere, you just can't top Jesus the Christ. How did he do all this? What on earth is so special about Jesus? Well, that's the first thing. Jesus was on earth. 
Everyone has gods, but only Jesus comes to be God with us in real history. Now, some of you who study Greek mythology say, oh, no, other people had gods come to earth. Zeus came to earth all the time. He had lots of children. Um, Perseus, Hercules, his brother Poseidon had a son. Percy Jackson. (laughs) Of course. When? What year was it? Who was the king in Athens at the time? There has never been even a suggestion of a date for the historical birth of the children of Zeus. Even in the days of the ancient Greeks, when those stories were very popular, they were already being told as if they had happened a long time ago in a time far, far away and forgotten. Jesus was born when Tiberius was Caesar of Rome, when Herod was king in Palestine, and when Quirinius was temporarily governor of the region. And within 500 years of that date, the majority of that part of the world believes it is true. How did that happen? A Jewish rabbi who had no army, wrote no holy book of his own, and after the age of four, never left his home country. How did that happen? A Roman governor had him crucified, and a few hundred years later, you can't crown the Roman emperor unless the church of Jesus Christ places the crown on his head. How did he do this? Today, we're going to learn. Today, we're going to learn the key to real power in this world. And it begins in this story with Jesus and his disciples. You know, they sense the kingdom is coming. Jesus talks about it often. They want to be his right-hand man, both of them. Well, there can only be one right-hand man. So the mom comes up with the idea, or they put their mother up to it. Either way, super hilarious. But they send their mom up, or she goes up, and asks for one of her sons to be the right-hand man, and one of her sons to be the left-hand man. And here is how Jesus responds to the request in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus answered them by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Jesus told them, you'll indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So they're squabbling over power and position. And Jesus calls them together and says, guys, you know how power in this world works. But in this kingdom, it's going to be backwards from that. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom For many, what is he talking about? This is preposterous. No king in history before Jesus ever ruled this way. Now we know in our time that the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. changed our part of the world and probably others with this idea that he learned from being a minister for Jesus Christ. 
We know that Gandhi in Asia changed his part of the world and probably other parts using this idea. Although he wasn't a Christian, he said he learned how to do it during his studies in England, his studies of Jesus. Before Jesus, who ever heard of this sort of leadership? There was somebody. Jesus gives us a hint in the last few lines he says. It was the prophet Isaiah. 600 years before Jesus in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah receives a vision from God. Now, we're going to do something we don't do here often, but this is just too good to pass up. We're going to read an entire chapter of the Old Testament together. Now, I have some parts on the screen in bold where we all read together, and that'll kind of, you know, wake you up again if you start to drift off. I, I don't think you will. This is great stuff, but maybe you had a big breakfast. All right. 600 years before Jesus, this word comes to the prophet Isaiah. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. There it is. God lays it out for us. And 600 years later, Jesus takes phrases from it and says, this is what a king in the new kingdom will be. If God's kingdom is ever to break in and sweep over this earth, setting everything right, as we sang in Joy to the World, it will only happen when someone is willing to suffer. In the dark ages, Christianity became very powerful, forcing people to believe or be executed. Uh, That did not bring about the new kingdom. Islam converted people at the end of the sword. That did not bring about a new kingdom. 
The Reformation didn't do it. The British Empire and the so-called white man's burden didn't do it. American democracy didn't do it. And Republicans and Democrats have not done it. Nazism and the master race failed. Marxism and the so-called rule of the people failed. Mao Zedong and the Cultural Revolution failed. Star Trek and the United Federation of Planets, the Jedi Knights, the Planet of the Apes, the Hogwarts School of Wizardry and Witchcraft, the Avengers Initiative, all failed. Facebook. Surely when just us folk can get on there and talk to one another, peace and prosperity will roll over the world like a wave of goodwill. (laughs) The key, Jesus says, the only key, is the bitter cup of suffering. Can suffering create a nation? You want a nation blessed by God? You've got to be George Washington. Serve two terms, and when it's clear that they will elect you forever, as long as you live, you step down. Even though they beg you to stay, you suffer the loss of power. You step down, and you create America. And don't think you're not suffering because you know you're about to hand the whole thing over to John Adams. (laughs) Can suffering create equality in that nation? You want a nation that shares the blessings with all of God's children? You've got to be the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and his marchers. You've got to walk without weapons without signs laced with profanity, without hateful words. You've got to walk in peace and sing hymns and pray. And when you see those police ahead and the clubs and the dogs, you kneel down and prepare to suffer. And when they ride you down with horses and fire tear grass canisters on you, you don't strike back. You go like a lamb to slaughter. Because the other way has been tried And they call you violent and they say you're animals and you must be controlled. But today you suffer and you show the world who's violent. You show the world who's the animals. And before that same year is over, the very nation will demand that you be given the right to register to vote without being intimidated. That's power. Can suffering provide sanitation for the third world? I was in the Dominican Republic in 1995 in a filthy village, sewer and rainwater, running across an intersection in the middle of the village. The people had gotten together, I heard, to have a riot, to have the government come and dig a simple ditch to channel this wastewater and sewage to where it belongs. As the riot's heating up, a teenage man jumps on a car, grabs a bullhorn, and shouts to the crowd, Look at all the men we have here today on the street." Now let us grab our shovels and dig this ditch for ourselves. Let us suffer to change our own fate. They decided they'd rather have a riot. They turned over cars and set them on fire. I was there two years later, sewage still running in the streets. What if they had listened to the young man and suffered to change their own fate? What can suffering do for a family right in the suburbs, that fights day after day about the same meaningless things. You come home every day and the house is a mess. What do your kids do all day? 
What does your wife or your husband do all day? You have this fight every day and it's tearing your house apart. If it's bothering you that much, Jesus the Christ says, clean it. Quit griping. Clean it yourself. That's not fair. I work all day. And from the cross, Jesus says, you want to talk about fair. What's fair about this? Do you want a clean living room or do you want a divorce? Do you want a clean kitchen or do you want children who hide from you and won't talk to you? Those are your options, my friend. Suffer. That's what a real king does. He suffers. And that's how you take over the world. You suffer of your own volition. You suffer. Let me tell you from experience, you only have to suffer about two weeks of doing the chores before people magically start to join in without being asked, without being browbeaten, without you nearly having to have an aneurysm and set your own head on fire. And then after you suffer a little more, one day you wake up and you realize it might have been taking you 90 minutes to dust and vacuum and load the dishwasher every day, but it's been taking her Three hours to go to three different grocery stores to save $50 a week to add to the family vacation fund for 10 years. And then to come home and chop and saute and simmer just so you can say, great dinner, honey, and go back to checking your email. What was I griping about all those years? Wished I had suffered sooner. Can suffering heal a sick body? You get a bad health report. The doctor tells you you need to find some kind of exercise and most importantly, you need to eat better. It's time to suffer. If you find an exercise program that has no suffering, let me save you the time, it ain't gonna work. You find a diet that removes all the suffering, it ain't gonna work. I'm not talking about the suffering of being hungry. You can hurt yourself with that kind of suffering. I'm talking about the things you're choosing. I'm talking about these certain types of food items that, let's face it, have become your friend. If you're not suffering the loss of those friendships, well, you can't conquer obesity with ice cream and beer. Can suffering take the obligation and annoyance out of Christmas and make it a season of joy? We all act like we don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about. It's Christmas time, time to hang out with those crazy relatives, the in-laws and the outlaws. Stop whining to your spouse about how crazy his or her family is. It's their family. It's not about you. Go and suffer well. And drinking does not count. You have to suffer sober. (laughs) Jesus was offered a little wine on the cross and he didn't take it. When they start talking politics, if you agree, join in. If you don't, zip it. They're there to see each other and talk to each other. They're not there to talk to you and hear your opinion. Once a year, they like to get together and just be in a room full of people just as crazy as they are and be at peace. Talk with all people who agree. And don't you know tomorrow your spouse has to pack up and hang out with your asylum of origin. So, (laughs) find something to contribute. Wash the dishes after Christmas dinner. Bring a game and teach it to people. If you're not careful, you might accidentally enjoy yourself. My nieces and nephews on my wife's side have started requesting which games I should bring when the family gets together. 
And we just had uh, Thanksgiving all together. And it was the best Thanksgiving I've ever had. Can suffering bring your children back to you? When your kids are defiant and disrespectful, you don't get to mirror their bad behavior. You don't get to be disrespectful back. I'm just repeating to you the speech my wife gave to me back in September. She says, you're the adult. You carry the emotions they're not mature enough to carry yet. You suffer to show them how to handle conflict in a family. Their job is to pull the pin and roll the hand grenade into the living room, and your job is to fall on it, soldier. (laughs) Keep your head. You're the adult. And besides, you always regret how you acted later. Save yourself an apology. Pilate asked Jesus, do you hear their accusations? Have you nothing to say in your defense? No, he didn't. He suffered. And again, from experience, your teenagers come by in the evening and they knock on your bedroom door and they say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know why I acted that way. I was angry and that outburst was stupid. Can suffering make traffic more tolerable? Has anyone else noticed this year that like, there's 40% more cars out shopping? Anybody else notice this? Have you noticed that these people probably haven't driven since a couple of Christmases ago. <laughs> and there's no bridges in Lee Summit anymore. <laughs> it's a big, small town, but if you're trying to get to the other side of the town, you can't get there from here. <laughs> so they won't let you in. Finally, let's face it, you muscle your way in by sticking your nose out in front of a car that's nicer than yours. You're like, I know you're not going to hit me with that. You finally forced your way in. What should you do? Wave pleasantly to the person behind you as if they meant to let you in. It might give them ideas. And at the next intersection, suffer a moment and slow down and let someone else in. Pretty soon, this taking turns thing might catch on. And then you log on to Facebook. A billion people and pictures of what they had for dinner and grandkids and Christmas concerts. But there are a handful, and I hear it is a noisy handful, who mistakenly believe that the problems of the world and the real face of Jesus can now be revealed if they make a political comment and repost this article. And you read the comment, and you read the article, and it is the dumbest thing you have ever heard. And they use some inflammatory language and some abusive language, and your blood is boiling, and you're standing in front of this dumpster fire of a post, and you've typed in your own little can of gasoline into the comments box, and your arrow is hovering over submit, reply, comment, like. Let's pause for a moment. What can suffering bring to the digital world of social media? Let's look at all our options. What's the best thing that could happen if you hit reply or comment or like? Or Well, they'll, the best thing that could happen is they would read your post in exactly the tone of voice that you intended with the help of a few emoticons you dropped in along the way. And they'll say, oh, you are so right. And I was totally wrong. I've, I've never thought of that. I've never heard that before. I've never read that before. I, I take it all back. Consider me your Twitter follower for life. <laughs> Hallelujah. How likely is that to happen? Okay. We're aiming too high. Let's dial it back to the, the next best thing that could happen. 
Eight people will hit the like button on your post, showing that other fool that you have more supporters than they do. And that not everyone in the church is as liberal as they are or as conservative as they are. And now the battle lines are clearly drawn. What did that actually do for the suffering people you were trying to stand up for? What's the worst thing that could happen? The worst. Well, that gets scary, doesn't it? Now is the time to suffer. To suffer someone else's words. To suffer as the king suffered insults and injury. To suffer as all the saints have suffered. And to find a way to stand in real time with the suffering and alleviate their suffering in a real way. Possibly with your own suffering. In time, who knows? Maybe with no likes, no replies, no followers except the hateful eight, these posts will fade away. The suffering servant has won and is winning the world to himself. It is the real miracle of Christmas. And when we drink the cup that he drank, the kingdom of God is here. Suffering and the resurrection God brings to those willing to suffer will save the world. In fact, it already has. When I was in seminary, sometimes when we had a word from Scripture, we would just take a moment of silence and ask the Spirit to help us to apply it to our life in whatever way that the Lord would like to see us apply it. So let's have just a moment of silence while we consider this suffering servant who shows us the way to peace and how it can bring peace to us. Advent is an ancient church tradition and holiday, but the way we do it here at Lakeland uh, observing it in homes with family and friends is 10 years old this year. And the way we do it actually was the way our dad started doing it with us in the living room. As far as we can tell, he made up this version of it in 1988. I remember Advent in our house coming at a time when it was getting hard for us to all engage as a family. Everybody just kind of wanted to stay in the room, listen to Walkman. And I really think my dad was trying to do something to get us to come out and be together. It started with like, hey, let's get together and, and do this thing, this Advent thing, which we'd never heard of. But um, we're going to have sparkling grape juice and cookies. And I remember that's what originally I was like, oh, yeah, let's, okay, sure, we'll do whatever. And I remember we went out and they had like the candles lit around the living room and some music That's on the stereo. I was like, what is this? Like borderline creepy. But, it was kind of goofy, yeah. But interesting. It was different. So we sat down and we're like, okay, I guess dad's going to do a little show for us. All yeah, right. I, rem I remember making fun of it <laughs> at first, but secretly... I remember thinking, yeah, this is actually pretty cool. We were in martial arts, so we were gone until you know eight or nine every night. Six days a week. Um, yeah, six days a week. We were very invested. So just family time 
Um, we had plenty of it, but this was like a rare moment where we were just all together, kind of really talked as a family. And um, I remember my friends weren't getting that. I remember that being right. a conversation as they'd say, like, oh, that's really cool. I don't really sit around and talk with my family like that. What I love about the way Dad's Advent tradition works is because it's pre-written, we can just show up and it's mostly being together in the presence of God. We don't have to like be impressive or think of things to say. You can just come and be. And it's all centered around very beautiful ancient prayers and centered right around the gospels, teachings of what the, you know, the real Christmas story was. Um, but you can come and just kind of breathe it in and out together and it just works. It's something that we could have maybe just either swept away or seen as, you know, Advent as, you know, like what you open the little doors to get the piece of chocolate. But in, in diving deeper into it, you know, we've, we've realized the meaning and, and the intent behind it. Yeah, it's a good marker of the season. It distinguishes, I think, Advent season from the rest of the time because we do gather every Sunday. Sometimes we do dinner together. Uh, we gather around uh, one table or kind of in a circle and go through the Advent book. And I think it helps everyone anticipate, mm. you know. I mean, it puts you into a season like the coming and the waiting as opposed to like, oh, wow, Christmas is already here. Man, how'd that happen? Yeah, Christmas used to be miserable. Yes. Hustle and bustle. Yes. But once we started doing the Advent thing, that was, it was 180. And I actually just loved Christmas after that. Seeing it spread throughout the whole church makes me, one, incredibly grateful that, you know, both Garrett and I work. So, <laughs> yeah, well, both Garrett and I work for a church, and I think it's because we come from a family with a very um, wise patriarch. I'm grateful for a father that brought Advent to us. I'm grateful for a brother that pushed it on the congregation. And I'm grateful for a congregation that embraces it because now at Lakeland, on um, you know Sunday night, Monday night, when people are doing it, you kind of know like we're all together and quiet and pockets of family. And I'm yeah, I'm grateful for my dad and my brother and the church. To think of how much one idea has grown into such a big thing for so many different families. I mean, and the fact that, so, so yeah, we've been doing it for nine, ten years, and, and that's, that's multiplied by the number of families that are coming through here. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. And I don't know about others, but I knew Advent as a Catholic deal, so, <laughs> you know, if he wouldn't have introduced it to Lakeland and we wouldn't have done it, I would have never done Advent ever. It's quite a legacy. That's for our church community yeah. to have these multiple families all over Lakeland to have this as part of their holiday tradition, as part of the expectation to have uh, our children just in these couples expect and look forward to Advent thanks to what Jim That's did right. as a father That's true. 35 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and. For that to make that kind of an impression on Jason and Garrett, for them to establish that in their own homes and then decide it's worth all of us mm -hmm. doing. Uh, that, that's a pretty sweet legacy, yeah. Jim. That's yeah. pretty amazing. That's a good thumbprint. Yeah. Thanks, Jim.
We have a special uh, benediction for the Advent season. You do the parts in bold. Watch and pray. Those who are longing await his appearing. Watch, wait, listen. And go in peace. Amen.